I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone. I hope you're well. To help support this podcast and to get exclusive access to videos which are packed with history and current affairs and everything else I can think of, to be honest, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. It would be great to see you there. In the meantime, here's the next episode of my love letter to the British Isles. Cue the music. was a keyhole in a door that opened to the entire world. In this episode, we're heading to a place where dreams are made. Once a busy, bustling fishing port, filled with beautiful clear light, sharp air and constantly changing weather. A higgledy-piggledy place with the power to buoy the spirits A young 16-year-old lad came here to build a life as a grocer. Glimpsing the sea every day from his shop window, he sensed a different future for himself. A future that would make him world famous and help to shape a nation. I'm stepping out across Britain to discover 100 remarkable places that have shaped you, me and the whole world. I'm Neil Oliver and this is my love letter to the British Isles. Hi Neil. In the last podcast, we travelled to Culloden Moor, where some of your Clan Cameron ancestors fought and died for Bonnie Prince Charlie. Where are we this week? Yeah, the last episode was all about international political intrigue and blood and guts and terror, so this week couldn't be more of a contrast. It's 1745 and we're walking through the stunning streets of a wonderfully picturesque fishing port, off to buy groceries from a young lad whose dreams would one day make him into a legendary explorer. We're with the teenage James Cook in Staithes in North Yorkshire. We are in the little port, seaside town of Staithes, that's S-T-A-I-T-H-E-S. And like many people, I know for a fact that I had driven past the road end, the road leading to Staithes, many times before I was taken there on a job for television. Because otherwise I would never have realised that such a little treasure was there to be explored discovered. The road is up on the high ground, on the high ground above the sea, and it winds its way down. What you discover is um, the outlet of a river 
which is the Roxby Beck, comes out into the sea there and it has over the millennia carved a, a cleft in the rock out to the sea. And one side of the, of the cleft protects the river from the waves, from the weather. And then on the, on the other side is where most of the houses have been built. And it's this fantastic higgledy-piggledy Legoland collection of the most idyllic fishermen's cottages. If you were going to pay a Hollywood designer gazillions of pounds to build a set for smugglers, she would not manage to come up with anything as good as Stathe's. It's absolutely perfect. It's got Robert Louis Stevenson type territory written all over it. It's just gorgeous. But as I say, I would never have I would never have known it. I would never have known it was there. It was when I was making an episode of Coast and we actually went there to talk about the fact that in the early part of the uh, 20th century and in the, in the late 19th century, it was a popular location for Impressionist painters. There was an artist's colony. You know how artist's colonies started getting established by arty types all over? It was Staithes in North Yorkshire was one of those. For a long time, the, the sort of prevailing artistic tradition had been in studios indoors where you could control everything, like the light and the set. And you could pose someone or, or you could set up a still life and you could work away in it to your heart's content. But under the influence of people like uh, Paul Cézanne and, and Claude Monet in France, who started pioneering what we know as the Impressionist tradition, and it, it, was, it was centred around being quick and, most importantly, being out in the open air, en plein air. And the idea was you went out to a location and you were there in the light of the moment, the weather, whatever it was, and if the light and everything came together that, that inspired you, as quick as you could, you set up your easel and your canvas and you dashed something off to capture the moment, to give an impression of a moment. And it started with, with those French artists whose names we're so familiar with, but it spread. And before long, the people were doing it in Britain as well. And amongst those who were inspired to go to, to Staithes in those years were Dame Laura Knight, who was the first woman, first woman given full membership of the Royal Academy. And another of them was a chap called Frank Henry Mason. And you know those um, wonderful sort of Art Deco railway yeah. posters of all the railway stations like Bournemouth and, and Brighton and the beautiful, very distinctive style. Well, he cut his teeth uh, working at Staithes as well. He was part of that artist's colony. But there was a whole group of them. So that was why I, I went there to, to tell that story. But I was captured by it. I remember phoning home immediately and saying to, and saying to my wife, we've got to come here with the kids. You've got to come and see this. This is amazing. It's one of those places, one of those experiences. And it's in the love letter to the British Isles because for me there are so many places like that off the beaten track that without a reason or without maybe knowing somebody who knows about Staithes, you simply would so easily pass it by, both literally and metaphorically. You drive past it on, the, I think it's the A1, you know, the A1, the road that, you know, heading north or south, depending on what direction you're facing. And you could go up and down the A1 for a lifetime and never know that Staithes was there. And it, it's those treasures, like truffles, like buried treasure, that pure luck in many, many ways brings you to them. 
and stays apart from anything else just because of the way it looks because it's such a perfect location to inspire the imagination it would make it into the the love letter anyway but there are so many other reasons to love it it stands for it's a monument to a variety of ways of life that have gone over the hill into history would be another reason to be drawn there you know to glimpse the old ways for a long time during its heyday in the 19th century it was a, one of the busiest fishing ports on England's northeast coast a fleet of 80 boats maybe 400 men and their families obviously would have earned their living there they, they had their boats on the beach and they, they went out from the beach every day to fish and the the boats that they had because they were launching out into the waves they had to be have a high prow you know so that water didn't engulf them and they were actually based for the same reasons on the design of the Viking longships which were high prowed for, for the same reason to stop the waves overwhelming the vessel and filling it up and, and sinking it so the fishing boats that were used out of Staithes and other ports on the northeast coast were modelled on Viking longships. They were the tail end of a tradition that, you know, was a thousand years old and more. But of course, you know, for a long time the fish would come in, they'd be landed, they would be loaded onto the railway station there and they would be, you know, sent north and south to wherever the markets were, wherever they were wanted. But gone now, largely gone. There's just a handful of boats now and it's it's not a serious industry there anymore. There was another industry, there were mines nearby for a chemical compound called alum, A-L-U-M, which was used for a long time uh, to fix dyes to fabrics. If you dye fabric without... It's all very well the first time, but when you, if you wash something that you've dyed blue, the blue will just come out, and unless you can dye it with a compound that actually chemically fixes it to the fabric, and alum was used like that. So that, that industry kept people going, kept families going for a long time, but then it, was repl- it too was replaced. Synthetics came in that were cheaper and didn't involve people digging underground. So that industry went the way of all things. There were jet, Whitby jet, like a kind of a, it's like a kind of a coal, you might say, that used to be popular. Queen Victoria had jewellery made of jet, uh, and you can still go to Whitby and you get little ornaments and jewellery carved from jet. Whitby jet is uh, actually um, fossilised monkey puzzle trees, to be very specific. The monkey puzzle trees that grew at a time when there were dinosaurs and then fell over and were fossilised, transformed into, into stone, which we know as jet. Well, there was a version of that material that was collected at Staithes. Also gone. So Staithes is a, is a monument to times past. It was big on smuggling as well. I mean, for a long time, Staithes was a was a haunt for people bringing in contraband and illicit items from abroad. They were coming in, and Staithes was one of the plays. But as far as we know, that's that's largely gone from Staithes now as well. And then the artist's colony, but that time that time passed as well. And now now Staithes is a, a lot of it's about tourism. You can rent some of the cottages there or they're owned and kept as second homes and that's the fate and the plight of so much of the coastline of Britain a lot of it has gone over to second homing and and tourism and I suppose at least it keeps some money coming in for some people and, and gives owners of those second homes a lot of pleasure but 
it doesn't exactly contribute to a dynamic economic situation for, for most of the local population. Uh, but best of all, though, I mean, I, I went, as I say, the first time to tell the story of the, of the Impressionist painters and the artists' colony. But I've been back since, and because in reading around it, you don't have to read too much to stumble across the fact that Staithes has another reason to be remembered, another reason to be visited. Because, as it turns out, in the year 1745, now, last week we talked about Culloden. Yeah. 1746, well, in 1745, the year that rebellion began, a young chap moved from his birthplace in Middlesbrough to Staithes to take up a job as a grocer's lad, making deliveries to people's homes with items purchased. Uh, and he was, a, he was a young chap by the name of James Cook. <laughs> uh, and he was, just a, he was just a boy. He was just a boy, just in his early teens, when he moved from Middlesbrough, where he'd been born, to Staithes. And he worked for the grocer for about a year, but he was hopeless. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't very good on land. And he was very easily distracted. And there's a lot of speculation that he, when he should have been busy busying himself with, with groceries, he was looking out the window at the boats coming and going. You know, he could see the ships coming and he could, he could see them departing. And it captured his attention from, from a young age. And he, he had the great good fortune to have an understanding boss so his boss knew, could tell that the future grown-up James Cook was not going to be a grocer. Now the owners of the shop were the Sandersons and they knew people nearby in Whitby, home of the jet. And those friends, those friends of the Sandersons kept a fleet of coal ships, colliers, that moved coal up and down the east coast of Britain. And word was sent, I've got this boy here. He's no use to me, but maybe you can do something with him. And so young James Cook was sent away to Whitby and there he began his apprenticeship, first of all as a merchant seaman, but then eventually, eventually, the future of Captain Cook, the greatest navigator and sailor that these islands have ever produced, without a shadow of a doubt, Captain James Cook. Well, it would appear that he got his first taste of a life on the ocean wave by looking through the window and the, and the sometimes open door of a grocer's shop in Staithes in North Yorkshire. So for anybody interested in the adventures of Captain Cook and wanting to follow those adventures from the very beginning, well, you do worse than go to Staithes and consider why a young chap there, why his imagination might have been captured by what he saw looking out from that part of the coast. When you set foot in a beautiful location like this, do you respond to the look of it, or is it always about the history of the place? Oh, no, 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 it's not. It's, it's, it's the way the thing looks first and foremost for me. It really is. I mean, I cannot stress that enough. I judge books by their cover. I always, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I always do. I pick things up because of the way they look first and foremost. And the first impact places have on me is is atmosphere. Maybe it's not just visual, it's a combination of things, isn't it? It's the air and the light and the it's everything. It's the way the place smells or the sensations that it evokes, but it's certainly the way it appears. And I knew that I loved Staithes within two and a half seconds of seeing it. 
and, and I've loved it ever since. It's magical. Living inside me is, is the eight-year-old boy that I used to be. And I'm always on the lookout for places that look like good places to play. And ideally, for me, a, place, a good place to play had a river running through it. Because that promised the prospect of sailing wee boats or making dams and creating wee ponds. And so anywhere that's by the water or by the sea, it, it attracts the eight-year-old boy that I still am. And it's also, for anyone interested that, that grew up reading adventurous stories, it reeks of the sort of terrain that smugglers and pirates would have sought out where they could hide. You know, they could nip in and hide round the corner out of sight of the patrolling naval vessels. It's a, a, a fantasy fairyland. It's like a kind of a brigadoon by the sea. It just looks too good to be true. It's so perfect. Because there's not that much space on which to build, the cottages are all, they're all piled in on top of one another. Like Lego bricks. They're hanging over each other and they're cheek by jowl. You know, there's not an inch of space to be had. And they're, some of them are brightly coloured and they're well looked after in the main. And There's a wee bridge goes across the river so you can go from one side of stays. It's on both sides of the, the river, the box we back, and you can go on either side. And of course it goes out to the sea. And my favourite place to be is on that strip between the land and the ocean, between the land and the sea. So when you're at Staithes, it's dominated by the presence of the North Sea. That's the beating heart. That's the bigger presence that dictates everything about Staithes, that brings the weather. And that's why the weather's so changeable. That's why the Impressionist painters were drawn there, because moment to moment, everything is transformed. Is the sun in? Is the sun out? Is it raining? Are there shafts of golden light coming down through the clouds? The place is transformed a thousand times a day. So yes, I am absolutely drawn to places first and foremost by the way they look and the way they make me feel. And if those places have a history attached, well, that's just that's just <laughs> butter on the parsnips, isn't it? <laughs> and and you're a you're an inlander living in Stirling, but you seem very much drawn to the sea. Uh, the cruel, the cruel irony is that, well, it's not a cruel irony because I love it here as well. I, I live in Stirling, which is about as inland as you get in Scotland. It's right smack in the middle of the country. Um, but the beauty of Stirling is that it, it's at the centre, so it, it's the best place to be for getting to everywhere else, east and west, north and south, absolutely shrouded in history in its own right. But yes, I, I always miss the sea. I miss the sea when I can't see it, without a doubt. But there's a there's a river. The Forth comes through Stirling, and the Forth goes all the way out to the sea, so I've got that connection. There used to be fishing boats and cargo ships came all the way up into Stirling in days gone by. And then they would go out again on the high tide and back out to sea, so the sea's not so very far away from here. But you are drawn to the coast. I am drawn to the coast. I always have been. There's a funny thing... It was actually my wife who pointed it out years ago, years and years ago, when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. She actually said it for the first time when we were at Boss Castle, down in Cornwall, you know, near um, Tintagel. And we were on the beach, and I was looking out to sea, and she was looking inland. <laughs> so she realised that we, we were kind of like faced in opposite directions. And she, I think it was there and then that she said for the first time, she said, this always happens when we go to the coast I'm always looking at the land and you're always looking out to sea and it is true I'm 
drawn to and hypnotised by the sea. And I've had the great good fortune to spend a lot of time on the water. I don't know how to sail. I've never had the time, really, far less the opportunity, really, to learn how to sail. But I've been on many a vessel, from the smallest single-handed little dinghies right up to aircraft carriers. I've sailed across the Southern Ocean from from the Falkland Isles to Antarctica in a 50-foot yacht as part of a seven-man crew. I've been on every kind of vessel you can think of, from kayaks through antique, beautifully restored vessels through 18th century, three-masted ships of the line. You name it, I've been on the water in it. And I'm never happier than. I love, love, love being on the water. Perhaps you have Viking blood in you. Well, if the if a lot if a lot of the envelopes that I get sent that just come without a proper address on, but they come to me anyway, if they're anything to go by, a, a lot of people seem to see some sort of Viking connection. But I, I can I can reassure everyone that I have had my DNA tested a couple of times, and there's never been any sign of Vikings, so I can't make that claim. Another reason, it might even be the best reason for going to Staithes, on top of everything else is that in the context of James Cook, and and you have to imagine him as he was then, which is just a callow boy, stays there, what it suggested to him was beginnings and potential. In every way that matters, he went out from stays, tiny, often overlooked stays, and around the world. It was a keyhole in a door that opened to the entire world. That's in large part what the message of Staithes is. That, you know, if you want to go around the world, if you want to see the wider world, you just start from wherever you are. And Staithes is a fantastic hint at what lies beyond. bright star amongst those that set sail upon the world ocean, helping to chart the course to this island nation's future, learning his trade while sailing coal shipments up and down the east coast. Soon the young sailor became a captain in command of his own ships and started to plan voyages of exploration across the globe, determined to travel further than any man had been before. Next time, in my love letter to the British Isles. To help support this podcast, which is and always will be free, and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment videos every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. It'd be great to see you there. Check out the Instagram account called Neil Oliver Love Letter, and please write a review of this week's podcast and share it with your friends. For further reading about these favourite destinations of mine, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the British Isles in 100 Places, and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the British Isles is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Fat Belly Films. Music is by Malcolm Goldie. The social media producer is Oscar CFR. 
Additional research is by Evie, Lucy and Archie and Teddy. Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production by Althorpe Studios and graphics by Paul Plowman. And special thanks to the people across history who have made and continue to make these isles such an incredible place. This has been an FBF Podcasts production.